Hi friends, welcome back. My name is Joe. This is the Joe Martino Show. And we are back from a short break this summer. Took about six weeks off. I am excited to let you know that today we are kicking off talking about students and fidgeting. And by we, I mean my wife. Yes, indeed. My wife has come by. She has stopped and sat down. And we've recorded some episodes for you that are going to run throughout the fall. Let's kick it off. This is the Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right, friends, welcome back. I hope today, wherever today is for you, is going well and great and that you are having an awesome day. Uh, I am excited because today is going to be the first time ever in the history of the Joe Martino Show in over 200 episodes that my wife has stopped by to chat with us. So we're hoping that she can be uh, distraction-free because she has a little bit of ADHD. I laugh as I say that because I do too. And we're actually going to talk today about your student and maybe even you. You know, as a student, as a kid, I used to draw in my notebooks. Of course, we didn't have technology as a kid. Uh, When I was a kid, the technology that we had was a notebook. And if you were fancy, you had a trapper keeper. But I would draw in my notes all the time. And I remember teachers would get mad at that. And then I went to college, maybe even grad school. I think it was college. And I actually read research that said students who draw tend to be better students. And I was mad at my small school that I grew up. Today, we're talking about your students and fidgeting. What about kids and their learning styles? How How do they learn? How do they operate in a classroom? I'm on record. I've said it probably a hundred thousand times. I hope I say it a million times. Schools are not set up the way students learn anymore. We're not set up for boys at all. We're set up for girls. We're trying to make boys act like girls. We're trying to pretend that there isn't a biological difference between the two. And it's silly. It's silly. It's silly. And today we're going to talk about things like, hey, if your student fidgets at school, it's probably okay. Here's some ideas for how they could fidget and does eye contact actually mean anything who knows where else it might go uh i'm looking forward to doing this let's kick it off let's jump right into the interview with my wife miss erica martino or as i call her the wizard of west michigan all right so erica i'm so glad that you're here i'm hoping that this can become a regular part of the joe martino show it's my hope that within the next six months to a year i'm going to be launching a second podcast uh that is more dealing with theological and religious issues um and yet I want to keep this. And one of the things that I know you're passionate about is is kids and how they learn. Um, you were told a lot of misinformation when you were a child about things being wrong with you. And in reality, you just had a learning style outside of the structure for schools. So I gave you my phone one trip and I said, hey, let's talk about some things on the show. Just write down what your ideas are. And this is one of the ideas that you pick. Uh, let, let's talk about that. Jump right in wherever you want. I know you see a lot of, a lot of students, a lot of parents come in they're like my kid fidgets what does that look like for you how do you you know walk them through that process of hey maybe fidgeting's okay can i first talk about like my journey yeah like, oh, I got yeah here. you can okay. talk about anything you want oh by the way i'm excited to finally get to be on the show too it's been like a couple years in the works and trying to get our schedules to mesh up sometimes is a little difficult so yeah so through middle school and high school for myself i went to a small private school and i was known as the sweet kid i had i was a fun kid to be around but 
but I was also known as to not being that smart. My teachers were often frustrated with me and my ability to learn. It just got summarized as just not a very smart kid. My ASVAB even told me one time, like, I'd be a great cashier one day. Fun little fact, I ended up being a cashier and I sucked at it because math is not my strong suit. Uh, but my journey through... I actually, if I can interrupt yeah. you, I remember meeting you in college and I remember we were talking and we spent a lot of time talking because you were pursuing me hardcore. That, that was definitely how it went. <laughs> and uh, I remember saying to you one day, I don't know who's told you you're stupid, but you're not. This is insanity to me because here was this person that I met, actually still is very smart, um, just zero confidence in your ability to learn. Yeah, it was like you certainly played a huge role in my like, wait a minute, maybe I can do things. And I remember when Joanna first got married, we worked at this small Christian school and I was a preschool teacher and I got asked to run a fitness center that was going to start new in the area. And I remember and the woman's like, hey, when I thought somebody outgoing and smart, I thought of you. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. But I'm really not that smart. I can't start a fitness center. And I went home and I told Joe, hey, I just got offered a job making $40,000 a year. but I Which made... was a fortune to us. Yes, because I was making 4000 a year. And I said to him, but I told her no, because I'm not that smart. And he was like, you did what? What did you tell her? And he's like, no, you can do this. You will do this. And I was like terrified. But I remember like starting this fitness center. We had like over a thousand members in the first six months and we were making a million dollars in the first six months. And I started realizing like, wait a minute, the more I tend to use my hands, the more I tend to learn. Just Which, to clarify, we didn't make the million bucks. The owner did. The owner did. But yeah, <laughs> so it was very successful though. Uh, so we went on and Joe and I moved around quite a bit, but then I ended up deciding to go back to school to get my bachelor's degree online, which was a scary thing for me because I didn't know if I could do it. But I had this mindset, I will do it. And I went to school online and I I made the dean's list and the honor roll. And I graduated, I think my GPA was like a 3.7. And I was like, whoa, maybe I'm really not dumb. But I realized like, wait, online education worked for me because I'm such a hands-on learner and I could do it on my own pace and did a lot of interactive things to help me learn. Went on for my master's degree in counseling and that's where my professor was like, Erica, you are a hands-on learner and so you need to learn to your, use your hands to learn more. So he even like crafted the skill for me more and I started realizing like, wait a minute, fidgeting isn't bad. The professor had even told me like, hey, when kids fidget, it activates a part of their brain that helps them learn. And so I've, I now, you know, in grad school, never thought I'd work with teens because I had teenage daughters of my own who were barely 13. Enough said, most of you guys know what I mean by that when you have 13 year olds, but I absolutely love the teenage population and I have so many young kids and teenagers that come into my room and they're so frustrated with the grades they make. And one of the things I do with them is like, let's talk about how you best learn. And most everyone that comes in my room who they're failing is because they're a hands-on learner and they need to learn how to use their hands to stimulate the part of their brain to actually activate learning. So so as you became aware of this for yourself, it really changed how you approached your own education. And now as clients come to you, I know one of the things that I get on repeat is, you know, hey, my kid's moving around a lot. You know, we talk a lot about our son who is homeschooled in part because I'm not sure schools are set up for boys. And he'll, you know, be doing a lesson standing on his head. And I'm not exaggerating there. Like literally I walk into the living room and he's standing on his head while a lesson's going on. And he knows his stuff. He's smart. He's a smart kid. I know every parent thinks their kid's smart, but he's my fourth. And most parents don't think their fourth kid is smart. I'm kidding. (laughs) 
Um, but what is that conversation like for you? So one of the things that when you and I were talking about this was you said like, hey, sometimes kids learn best by just moving and making them sit still. They don't. I can only imagine the pushback you get from that from teachers and schools and parents. Talk about that for a minute. Like what? So let's just say that I'm the parent. I brought my kid into you. Hey, his teacher says he's fidgeting. I tell you some what we joke are horrifying things that I've tried. Uh, none of them have worked, shockingly. What's that conversation like? with you when you're like, you know, maybe just fidgeting is the way that he learns best. And I'm like, well, that can't be. What do you, what goes next? Well, I believe as a society, we've taught kids that the, the respect is you sit still, your hands are in your lap and all eyes on the teacher, right? That's the only way you're supposedly paying attention is if all eyes are on the teacher. So when I propose to parents is I don't want kids to be disrespectful or disruptive in the classroom because that's not going to help the teacher. And I am an advocate for the teacher, but it's also, Absolutely. it's not going to help anyone, right? Right, right. So so, but there are things on Amazon you can buy, like little fidget spinners. One of my favorite things that's very non-disruptive is fidget rings. And like, you can sit there and spin that thing your the entire class time. But some kids, you know, them paying attention, they are actually staring off into space. They're not hearing a word someone's saying. So sometimes doodling is best for them. What I don't understand sometimes in the education field is why is it that it's only, you're only paying attention if you're looking ahead? Because most people are dazing at that point. They're not actually paying attention. Right, right. I actually think of a conversation I had one time with an assistant principal about a seventh grader who got in trouble because he was coloring on his hand with a highlighter and the teacher said that was disrespectful. And I actually said to the administrator, I was like, I don't understand. What's, what's disrespectful about that? You know, if he was drawing inappropriate things and showing his neighbor, sure. But there is kind of this idea that there's only this one way to learn that we believed in the 1970s and we act as though there hasn't been any research in the last 50 years and there has been a lot. So you talk about the ring. I, I think even before you get to that, I, I know I talk to teachers a lot and you talk to students a lot. Part of our job is to almost normalize. It's okay that they fidget. I even advocate for teachers, and I know you do this with the parents trying to get them to do it with the teachers and the school counselors that you talk to. Look, every 18 minutes, do something. Get them to stand up for two minutes. And they're like, well, if we lose two minutes per hour. Yeah, but what if you gain more learning time even though you're giving time up? And so that normalizing, one of the goals of today's episode is we want to normalize for you who are listening, if you're a parent, we want to normalize for you that your kid fidgeting is normal. If you're a teacher, we want to normalize that your kids fidgeting in the classroom is normal. And we respect the truth that you have to be able to control your classroom. And then if you're an adult who's fidgeted your whole life trying to learn, there is a danger that you think there's something fundamentally flawed with you instead of there's just something fundamentally flawed with the system. And that's what I want you to think about today. Maybe just because you fidget, all that means is you're human. Just like you get hungry, you have to to ingest food, expel waste, you need sleep, you get bad breath, you get body odor, you get happy, you get sad. There's a range of the experience for humanity. And part of that is fidgeting. After we normalize it, some ideas on how we can have our students fidget better, the ring, drawing, what else do you have in, in your bag of tricks that you give to students? Uh, I actually had a teenage boy this week who came in and he was playing with this kind of put your hands on them they're like little pegs in the office and oh he, sure sure there's one in one of the rooms in the Lowell office the little yellow one it looks like ice it looks like a silicone ice maker yes, almost. yes yes it 
it's not the best thing probably in the classroom to do, but it's not disruptive. And he said, I'm sorry. I know it probably seems like I'm not paying attention to you. And I actually said to him, I actually can tell you're listening to every word I say because his body language was showing me he was listening. Even though he did not make eye contact with me and he was very into what he was doing with this little mechanism in the room. Um, but there's also like little squishy balls that kids could just have in their hand. Elementary kids, like uh, some of the elementary schools nearby us, I know they've adopted this, like the balls that you can sit on so you can bounce while you're trying to learn. Those are good tools. There's like also little fidget. There's all sorts of fidget toy spinners that have like little different rings in them and you can yeah. just sit and yep. spin them. The silicone shape makers, have you seen those? Mm-mm. Wade, I can never think of his last name. He was, uh, when we were going to uh, that community in Granville, he was there and now he's actually an MSW and I ran into him and we were talking and he works with students and he has little silicone shape makers that he gives them when they walk in and they sit there and they make stars and squares out of it. There's really a lot of things out there that a kid could fidget with and they could even fidget with just straight up pencils, pens, yes. their shoes. Let them do you it know, all. One of the things that I think our generation gained that is lost is we used to have the paper bag book covers mm-hmm. and we would doodle on them on all of them. Yes, you knew where too. you were at in the semester mm-hmm. based on how filled that covering was with drawings and notes and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And that's gone. Uh, and then some of this, and we talk about this a lot, you and I, this is actually a mindset that has to be adjusted by both learners, parents, and schools and teachers and administrators mm-hmm. in that it's okay if you're doodling mm-hmm. in a way that's not distracting. And if your neighbor can't not watch you doodle, that doesn't mean you're distracting them. We probably need to focus on helping the neighbor come up with a way to to stay in their space. Correct. And then I think the other thing that we talk a lot about that I'd love for you to address is eye contact for so long and especially some we live in West Michigan where I like to joke you can't spit and not hit 28 churches 15 Christian schools and 74 different denominations easily and so especially in some of those environments but even in public schools uh, private non-religious schools there's this idea that unless your eyes are on the teacher you're not paying attention and you've done some research work on that that's just not accurate correct I think for respecting if someone's talking to you you should teach your child or the student who you need to look at me when you're talking to me because it is a respect thing in our culture. But sitting in the classroom, if a teacher is teaching and the child is doodling or fidgeting or they're looking off, it 100% does not mean that they're not paying attention. They actually are paying attention and we need to reframe that that's, this is not a respect thing. I All eyes on me is not a disrespect, nor is it saying that they're not paying attention if they're not looking at you. The opposite is actually probably true. And I think a lot of times for parents, parents or teachers, it's, it creates anxiety in them to think that, oh, no, that kid's not learning. They're not looking at me and I have these quotas to meet and these expectations to meet and reframing that to be like, well, why don't we find out for sure that they're not paying attention? Because most likely they are. And as you want to say, there's so many different ways you can teach them. I've had so many students come into me that I teach to learn and I do it by, I do it by teaching them that your, your hands have to move to learn. So I will like bring me a subject next week when you come to therapy and we're going to study for a test. I'm going to show you how to do it. And I will have them draw out things on the board that has to do with what they're trying to memorize. And as soon as they do that, I'll go then erase it. And then I'll be like, okay, now I'm going to quiz you on what you learned. And like, seriously, 100% of the time, they can tell me what they just learned on the board. Right, right. One of the things I learned was, it's silly. I do this when I'm trying to learn something, which I know this is a podcast and not a video.
video podcast, so the listeners, you can't see what I'm doing. But what I do is I take my thumb and I touch my pinky, then I touch my middle finger, then the third finger, then the first finger, then I just do that on repeat as fast as I can. And I can do that down in my lap and people don't even notice. And it actually helps me focus better on what's being said. Um, Sometimes in the counseling room, because of the way it's set up, they'll see it. But in a classroom learning session, Yeah, you're afraid of tapping. Yes. And there is a lot of research online about tapping and the different tapping points in our body. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And tapping is one of those things that you can do and it just puts part of your brain into neutral. And then the part that I need to focus is free to run. Is there anything you would add? So one of the questions that I think is important is, okay, so let's say that somebody listened to this and they agree with us. They're like, yeah, that's, I think that's normal. How do they advocate for their student? How do they best advocate for their student? I would just go, I think most teachers are receptive. I would go to the teacher and ask them, is, could we put them in the back of the classroom if you're worried about them being disruptive? Is there something that we can do that they can fidget and see how they do? If they're fidgeting and they're still failing everything, then yeah, we need to reevaluate it. But I, my guess is you're going to see better results if the student can fidget. And uh, Can I talk on the whole, like looking at uh, the teacher again? I just want to add in here, this is probably a different podcast, but sometimes students not wanting to look at you can also be a trauma response because of shame and things they've been through. So I just want to add, you, we never know what's going on with a kid. And while we want to teach them social norms, we also need to be sensitive to, there are things going on in their story that you could not even imagine that could keep them. And sometimes they don't want to look at you, they're going to break out into tears because they just got beat this morning and they're at, sitting in the classroom now and they're afraid any con- eye contact with someone, they're going to know what's going on in them and they don't want them to. So they won't look at you. And that's a sad thing to just ponder, you know, when you're all eyes on me, even as an, a parent or a child or a parent or a teacher. We just live in a very kinetic world. And, you know, my guess is one of the things that I say to administrators a lot is I can usually identify the strictest teachers by how poorly they act in the meetings that the administrators have for them, right? So a teacher that is completely all eyes on me in the classroom, they tend to be completely distracted in the te- in the faculty meeting, doing their own thing, surfing their phone on their computer. And I think part of that is what drives that all eyes on me thing because they probably don't think it's normal and they're, they don't like it in themselves. So they're going after it in a student because they don't want that student to grow up to be like them. And in reality, education is character transferal. You know, one of the things that you were talking about there, that idea of going to your student's teacher and just being like, hey, can we try this? And even talking about potential traumas, one of the things that I think is true is there are some teachers who are just like, I don't care. Most teachers, I think, know that the trauma is there. They just have no idea what to do. And so they do the only thing they know to do, which is, hey, look at me, as opposed to just letting it play out and seeing what happens. Funny story from my grad school experience, as I've joked with my listeners before, as we joke in our family, probably all but one of us has ADHD. And I was in grad school and in grad school, I would play no money poker on my computer during class. And I also took, I mean, copious notes on my computer with drawings. If it got drawn on the board, it was drawn into my my notes. And there was a woman, another student, who was very upset with me that I would have the audacity to be on the note, be on the poker. And so the prof's walking around and she said to him, you need to look at his computer. He's playing poker. And uh, the prof looked at her and said, well, when your notes are as good 
good as his, maybe you could worry about what he's doing. And walked away. And I say that not to pat myself on the back, but that was a guy who really was ahead of the curve because that was before kind of all this started to come out in research. And that's the last thing that I want to leave the listeners with today is there is copious amounts of research that says that this is normal and it's good and it is a way of learning. When Erica touched on the trauma, there's copious amounts of research that talks about that that you can find. If you're willing to spend a couple hours doing some research, no, it won't make you a therapist. No, it won't make you a you know social science expert, but it will give you some tools to hang on to. All right, Erica, thanks for joining me today. Everyone else, thank you so much for listening. I know you can do anything with your time. I appreciate that you give us a little bit of it each week. Uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me, joe at joemartino.com. Just put podcast in the subject line so it doesn't get lost. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.